This is Dr. Edward Gaber. This is a podcast on dizziness. True vertigo is truly a feeling of motion. Patients feel either that they are moving or the room is moving. It is peripheral from problems with the vestibular apparatus of the inner ear or the vestibular portion of the eighth cranial nerve at the internal auditory meatus or the cerebellopontine angle. Or it is central from problems with the cerebellum or brainstem. It is very important to distinguish where dizziness is coming from. Peripheral neuropathy with loss of sensation, especially vibratory or positional sense, can cause unsteadiness and presyncope, but not true vertigo. Vertigo versus syncope. It is important to distinguish true vertigo from near syncope or faintness. When a patient says they have dizziness, I ask them to describe the feeling without using the word dizzy. I ask them if the sensation is that of blood rushing out of their head with a feeling like they're going to pass out and occurring especially immediately within a few minutes of standing up from a sitting position or getting out of bed. One patient told me it happened whenever he got up from a chair. However, when I carefully watched him get up from his chair, I noted he would always tilt his head down and then to look down and then tilt his head up to look up as as he was getting out of the chair. So he was actually having true vertigo from head movements affecting his posterior semicircular canal and not faintness. And I confirmed this by doing orthostatic blood pressures at one in three minutes and doing a Dixie Hall Pike maneuver. Most commonly though, dizziness on getting up is faintness and dizziness on lying down is from the inner ear. And it is important to distinguish vertigo from near syncope. A syncope could mean that the patient has hypotension from bleeding, from an antihypertensive or diuretic, from autonomic neuropathy with small fiber neuropathy, especially, or carotid sinus sensitivity, a volume depletion from heat exposure or hyperglycemia, or multiple other life-threatening causes, including complete heart block, or severe aortic stenosis with exertional syncope. Please listen to my podcast on syncope. I know, however, from personal experience that faintness and dizziness can occasionally occur at the same time. After two days of a ketogenic diet, I got out of bed and felt both dizzy and faint. Taking the blood pressure and pulse the pulse being more accurate with a pulse oximeter at one in three minutes after standing can help make the diagnosis of near syncope. I take the blood pressure and pulse also as soon as the patient says they feel faint. POTS or POT syndrome, as noted on my syncope podcast, may just manifest as tachycardia without much of a blood pressure drop. A tilt table test is sometimes necessary to diagnose near syncope. Vertigo of vestibular origin can cause drop attacks with the feeling of being pulled to the ground but without faintness. 
To confuse the issue even further, the vestibular system has some control of blood pressure through the sympathetic nervous, fiber, nervous system fibers going to the carotid sinus. Hyperventilation syndrome versus true vertigo. Lightheadedness or a floaty feeling is often hyperventilation syndrome and occurs often when the patient is anxious or rushed, or especially when the blood pressure is low just before a meal. The patient may be breathing a little deeper than usual for 20 minutes to get the same sensation they would get if they were rapidly breathing for a short period of time. The best way I know how to diagnose this is to ask the patient to close their eyes and breathe real fast for 30 seconds to see if they achieve the same lightheadedness feeling. Patients will tell you it's the exact same feeling if it is hyperventilation vertigo. Hyperventilation, however, can produce nystagmus on the same side as a cerebellar pontine tumor. So watching for nystagmus after hyperventilation is important. There are syndromes of chronic subjective dizziness called PPPD, persistent postural perceptual dizziness, without true vertigo, but with hypersensitivity to motion. BPPV, benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, causes 20% of all vertigo. Patients usually can walk when they get vestibular peripheral vertigo. Patients experience the vertigo with head movement, especially if accelerating in two directions at once, such as driving around turns and then moving the head in a different direction, or looking up when getting out of bed or lying down. The episodes of Disney, dizziness usually last 30 to 60 seconds. Nausea and balance problems, a full sensation in the upper abdomen and fatigue can be associated at the same time as the vertigo. Lying on one's bad ear improves the symptoms. The Dixie Dix-Hall-Pike maneuver is most helpful in diagnosing true vertigo from a vestibular or inner ear disorder. However, if the patient is not experiencing the dizziness around the time it is done, it may not be helpful. My criteria for positive Dix-Hall-Pike is not to observe the full-blown nystagmus, but to hear the patient say that the maneuver induced the same feeling of dizziness. Nystagmus, when it does occur after 30 seconds supine, is usually upbeating and rotational, but in the opposite direction after the patient sits up. The dizziness lasts less than a minute with peripheral vertigo and lessens with repeated pike maneuvers. It does not change direction when looking right or left. Tuning fork hearing tests, Rini and Weber testing, and an otoscope exam can reveal an ear problem. Repositioning of displaced calcium carbonate crystals in the semicircuit canals back into the utricle where hair cells only detect horizontal motion can be therapeutic. Doing the Epley, modified Epley, Sermont, or Brandt Daroff maneuver twice a week and not lying very flat that night can help treat and prevent BPPV. A transdermal 
scope patch, given if there's no narrow angle glaucoma, can help and also prevent it. Two patches at one time are sometimes necessary. Meclizine and other sedating antihistamines like Benadryl help. Fandergan or low-dose Valium can be very helpful. Despite conflicting literature, I know from personal experience that ginger 500 milligram capsules three times a day, begun the day before boating, does work to totally prevent dizziness and nausea. Staying in the center of the boat and at the waterline helps. Focusing on the horizon helps. Turning your head in the direction you're turning helps. Chronic unilateral vestibular hypofunction can mimic BPPV, but its vertigo lasts just two seconds and does not occur when tilting the head up or down. Unlike BPPV, it occurs only with rapid head, rapid head, head turning. BPPV occurs without rapid head movements. Vestibular migraine, VM, vestibular migraine, is said by many to be the most common reason for recurrent dizziness. Patients with VM often experience dizziness one hour before the migraine headache with photophobia and phonophobia. The dizziness may last a few minutes and often over 24 hours, in contrast to the brief episodes of benign postural vertigo or the vertigo of Meniere's that last less than 24 hours. However, VM episodes can also last seconds, as in BPPV. The episodes can come and go for months. These patients have spontaneous vertigo or motion or position-induced or visual-induced vertigo with or without nausea, and at least 50% of the vertiginous episodes are accompanied by unilateral pounding, moderately severe headache that might have aura or photophobia associated and might be exacerbated by exertion. Nystagmus in VM is usually slight. Paroxysmal vertigo in childhood may actually be migraine. Hereditary episodic ataxia can mimic VM if the patient also has migraine. Vestibular neuronitis. Vestibular neuronitis is a viral infection or post-viral inflammation of the vestibular nerve that usually lasts a month but can persist longer. It often occurs after a systemic viral infection. The vertigo may be intense and cause nausea and vomiting and exacerbate and remit over the first few days and then gradually resolve. The symptoms may be helped by steroids in the first week and some people give antivirals. Dizziness and ataxia occur with the tendency to walk leaning toward the bad ear, but patients retain the ability to walk. Spontaneous unidirectional nystagmus with fast beating away from the affected ear is noted at first. In a few days, the spontaneous nystagmus is replaced by nystagmus when looking away from the bad ear. The HINTS test shows the expected catch-up saccade of peripheral vertigo and is most helpful in figuring out if acute prolonged vertigo is vestibular neuronitis 
or a cerebellar stroke. Since vestibular neuronitis symptoms are similar to a cerebellar stroke or hemorrhage, brain imaging should be done quickly. When unilateral hearing loss accompanies vestibular neuronitis, the symptom syndrome is called labyrinthitis. Labyrinthitis can occur suddenly from a middle ear infection, meningitis, or systemic infection, or even Lyme disease. Other causes of vertigo. True vertigo can be medication-induced. Minocycline is famous for doing that. Immunoglycosides, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, cisplatinum, and streptomycin used in the past can affect the inner ear causing dizziness or hearing problems. Anticoagulants have been known to cause hemorrhage in the inner ear or brain. Loud noise, coughing, sneezing, or exercise with heavy lifting or straining at stool with basically a Valsalva maneuver can produce dizziness and hearing loss if there is a perilymphatic fistula between the middle and inner ear, or there is a defect in the superior semicircular canal or cranial vertebral junction abnormality, as in Chari syndrome. Normal pressure hydrocephalus may cause dizziness or just a feeling of imbalance or unsteadiness on their feet disequilibrium, which improves when lying down. Seizures can rarely present with just dizziness. A vestibular schwannoma, previously called an acoustic neuronoma, is a slow-growing benign growth seen on MRI in the internal auditory canal. It, it causes rare acute attacks of mild vertigo or imbalance early on loss of speech discrimination, unilateral progressive hearing loss, a full feeling in the ear, tinnitus, and sometimes facial numbness. A meningioma can also occur at the IAC. Vertigo from eustachian tube dysfunction occurs only with one-sided high pressures created in scuba diving or CPAP use. Vertigo can occur from autoimmune disease, Kogan's vasculitis with interstitial keratitis, multiple sclerosis, brain tumors, and congenital or alcohol-induced cerebral atrophy, cerebellar atrophy. Chari syndrome can cause vertigo with neck extension, neck pain, dysphagia, and downbeating nystagmus. A sagittal MRI can more easily see the cerebellar tonsils below the foramen magnum in Chiari. Parkinson's disease can present with acute onset of persistent dizziness. An MRI with contrast can best pick up multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis can cause facial numbness, muscle weakness, muscle cramps, and incoordination. Symptoms exacerbated by heat exposure, double vision, urinary frequency, and recurrent severe episodes of central vertigo that last for days. But vestibular disorders also often occur in MS patients, and they are missed because the physician assumes the symptoms are from MS. The Ramsey-Hunt syndrome from herpes zoster in and around the ear causes dizziness with or without loss of hearing 
but pain in the ear and often paralysis of the face and the side of the lesions can be seen. Syphilis can affect the inner ear and cause dizziness, hearing loss, and tinnitus. Head trauma, especially with a basal skull fracture, can cause a vestibular concussion. Look for the bruise posterior to the ear and basal skull fractures. Prolonged motion can induce dizziness and nausea. I get nauseous and dizziness on motorboats, but not sailboats, and I get very sick on long train trips. Years ago, after sailing my sunfish 24 miles across the rough waters of Lake Pontchartrain, I sat on my couch in the living room and had transient mild dizziness, but no nausea, while watching the pictures on the walls move up and down. This is called oscillopsia with disembarkment syndrome. Ototoxic drugs, noted previously, can also produce oscillopsia. I found several patients who had true vertigo only when they had their glasses, eyeglasses on. As a medical student, I learned about parallax. In our sophomore year, we got our binocular microscopes. The student sitting next to me complained that whenever he looked through the lenses of his microscope, he felt dizziness. Sure enough, when I and several other students looked through the lenses, we all felt dizzy within seconds. The microscope parallax, parallel lines of vision, was off kilter and it forced our eyes to diverge, which induced the dizziness. Since then, I've cured several patients' dizziness by simply unbending their glasses frames so that each eye's line of vision is exactly parallel. Posterior circulation stroke. Only 5% of vertigo is central, but posterior circulation stroke is a medical emergency and central dizziness must be quickly diagnosed and distinguished from peripheral vascular vestibular problems. Cellular hemorrhage or infarction or acute brainstem lesions cause central vertigo. Vestibular basilar arterial disease causes brief episodes of vertigo but it usually occurs with other focal neurological symptoms and signs. Patients with central vertigo often cannot walk and have severe balance issues. A stroke in the midline or inferior cerebellum can present with only dizziness and no other neurological symptoms, however, on physical exam, and the vertigo can last hours to weeks. A vertebrobasilar artery stroke usually presents with other symptoms, however, such as double vision, visual field defects, trouble mouthing words, dysarthria, trouble swallowing, dysphagia, or motor weakness with pronated drift or sensory loss and ataxia. A careful physical exam may reveal cranial nerve defects, dysmetria on finger-to-nose testing, or abnormal reflexes. Basilar artery occlusion or partial occlusion can mimic posterior syncope. Another rare variant called cervicogenic vertigo involves occlusion or partial occlusion or dissection of a vertebral artery in the neck with localized neck pain after whiplash injury. The vertebral artery can also be rarely affected by head turning, the bowhunter syndrome. Wallenberg syndrome with lateral medullary infarction from vertebral artery and posterior inferior cerebral artery, cerebellar artery occlusion causes vertigo, dysphagia, 
coarseness, hornet syndrome, same-sided extremity dysmetria, and sensory loss of pain and temperature on the ipsilateral face and contralateral body. I've seen posterior circulation strokes in patients in their 20s, so age should not rule it out. Early on, it is said that the HINTS test can be more revealing than an MRI in the first 24 hours, and there may be false negative MRIs later. Also, as mentioned, no other focal neurological defects may be present. HINTS stands for Horizontal Head Impulse Testing. The test is only accurate when choosing patients with nystagmus at rest or in lateral gaze, patients with head movement intolerance and gait problems, and nausea with vertigo. The test suggests a posterior circulation stroke if is, there is one bidirectional horizontal or vertical nystagmus, which is nystagmus, nystagmus that changes direction when looking right or left. But if bidirectional nystagmus is not present, it doesn't rule out a central lesion. Number two, vertical skew correction after covering and uncovering an eye. Not helpful if there is a cranial nerve four problem. And number three, no large beach of nystagmus, which is in peripheral nerve, peripheral vertigo patients to catch up after I turn their heads horizontally to the side and then forward while they fix their eyes on my nose. But they can't help their eyes being dragged off target with a turn to the side. In other words, central vertigo patients with a stroke do not have the saccade and peripheral vertigo patients with a vestibular disorder do have the saccade on the side of the bad ear. If there's inability or difficulty walking with a wide base gait and postural instability, a cerebellar problem is more likely. Cerebellar infarction or hemorrhage also may cause severe imbalance, direction changing nystagmus, headache, and as mentioned, trouble swallowing, focal neurological findings, and dysmetria, but limb weakness or incoordination may not be present, so it can mimic vestibular neuronitis. MRI is better than CT in diagnosing cerebellar infarction, but CT scans can see a cerebral, cerebellar hemorrhage. As a medical student, I saw a woman with severe nausea and vomiting attributed to her pregnancy. She had, however, severe postural instability, but no other neurological symptoms. She actually had a midline tumor of her cerebellum. MRI with contrast and CT and CTA of the brain and neck should be done as soon as possible in patients with sustained vertigo, especially if the central etiology is suspect, as a cerebellar infarction or hemorrhage may produce brain swelling that causes brainstem compression and death. TIAs of the posterior circulation may also cause vertigo lasting minutes to hours. Visual symptoms, limb numbness and weakness, drop attacks, and altered mental status and dysarthria. Strokes in the posterior circulation cause recurrent episodes of vertigo that may last for days. Brainstem and cerebellar strokes are not accompanied by hearing loss or episodic tinnitus 
except when the anterior inferior cerebellar artery syndrome as it branches into the internal auditory artery which can cause a labyrinthine infarction. More on trouble with balance. Problems with balance, also called called dis- disequilibrium, occurs from cerebellar dysfunction or cerebellar degeneration or with chronic alcoholism. It can occur with hydrocephalus, multiple lacunar infections or Parkinson's disease with lesions of the motor centers of the basal ganglia or frontal lobe lesions and with a acoustic neuronoma. It occurs from loss of proprioception as in peripheral neuropathy with B12 deficiency, diabetes, myeloma, thyroid disorders, and syphilis. It occurs with myelopathy with cervical spinal stenosis or B12 deficiency, again, with subacute combined degeneration of the spinal cord. It occurs with vestibulospinal dysfunction. The vestibulospinal tract is a component of the extrapyramidal system and relays motor commands originating in the vestibular cochlear nerve, part of the cranial nerve, and transmitted to the vestibular nuclei in the brainstem to alter muscle tone extend and change position of the limbs and head to maintain posture and balance and stabilize gaze with head, mo- head movements with the VOR, vestibular, vestibulo-ocular reflex. Extrapyramidal disorders such as Parkinson's disease, ototoxicity, or drug or alcohol intoxication, autoimmune disease, bilateral meniers, or bilateral vestibular neuronitis can affect the vestibulospinal system. More on nystagmus. Nystagmus can usually be seen in acute vertigo with the patient looking straight ahead or head shaking side to side for 30 seconds when the patient has his eyes closed and then opens his eyes and the patient looks straight ahead. The fast phase is away from the affected ear. Nystagmus also worsens looking away from the bad ear or toward the fast phase. Nystagmus that suppresses with fixation on an object is more likely from a vestibular peripheral disorder. Also, nystagmus in vestibular disorder does not change direction of the fast or slow component when looking right or left, as it will do in central nystagmus. It also changes in central nystagmus with convergence when you ask the patient to look at the tip of their nose. Central nystagmus is non-fatiguing with repeated hull pikes and may last over two minutes with the head down. Vestibular peripheral vertigo patients typically have unidirectional horizontal or horizontal with rotatory nystagmus, whereas posterior fossa lesions cause nystagmus with pure vertical or pure horizontal or pure rotatory nystagmus that can be that can last for weeks to months and is not inhibited by focused gaze. Up or down beat vertical nystagmus can come from the semicircular canals, but it is paroxysmal. Down beat nystagmus is more concerning for a posterior fossa lesion 
than upbeat nystagmus. Downbeat nystagmus can be from problems at the cervical medullary junction where the brainstem meets the spinal cord, as in Chari syndrome. Downbeating rotatory nystagmus is from an anterior semicircular canal, BPPV, diapostural vertigo. Upbeat nystagmus may be from the cerebellar vermis. Nystagmus can also be from thymine deficiency with Wernicke syndrome or B12 deficiency, Dilantin, alcohol withdrawal syndrome, poor vision or ocular nerve disorders, albinism, trauma, multiple sclerosis, hydrocephalus. Severe nystagmus out of proportion to dizziness suggests a brain lesion or stroke. Binocular pendular nystagmus with equal back and forth motion when looking straight ahead can be congenital nystagmus, multiple sclerosis, or a brainstem lesion. It is never from the ear. PAN with direction changing nystagmus every 20 seconds is treated effectively with baclofen. Meniere's disease. Meniere's disease causes tinnitus in one ear, asymmetrical low frequency, progressive sensory neural unilateral hearing loss, and recurrent episodes of severe vertigo often accompanied by nausea and vomiting and lasting more than 20 minutes at a time and usually for hours, but not more than 24 hours. A feeling of fullness or pain in the ear at the time of the attack is common as the syndrome is from increased fluid in the semicircular canals. Horizontal nystagmus with rotatory nystagmus is seen during the attacks. The symptoms can come and go for years. The hearing loss can occasionally be bilateral. Vestibular migraine with vertigo lasts for months at a time, often coexisting with Meniere's. Hearing loss at all frequencies with preserved speech discrimination is air conduction loss from middle ear problems. The usual sensual neural, sensory neural hearing loss from noise exposure or age is a high frequency loss with speech discrimination problems, especially if there is background noise in the room. Diagnosis based on triggers and timing. As noted above, there are triggers and timing of the vertigo, and there are four classifications of symptoms based on timing and what triggers the symptoms. If there is acute spontaneous prolonged symptoms, think of vestibular neuronitis or a posterior circulation stroke. If there is epistotic, episodic position-induced vestibular symptoms, think of benign postural vertigo or central vertigo mimics. Remember that head movement can exacerbate most forms of vertigo, but it, it is a trigger event in benign postural vertigo. If there is epistotic, spontaneous vestibular symptoms, think of vestibular migraine, Meniere's disease, or that the patient may be having TIAs. Lastly, if there is chronic unsteadiness with or without oscillopsia, Think of cerebellar degeneration, bilateral vestibular failure, or myelopathy. As noted previously, symptoms that last seconds to hours is usually benign postural vertigo, 
or vestibular migraine, or a TIA or a cardiac arrhythmia. Symptoms that last days to weeks are usually from vestibular neuritis, toxicity from medication, or posterior circulation stroke. However, it is important to note that dizziness can be multifactorial. I hope this discussion has been helpful.